I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open at Genesis 2 as we work through our passage today. Uh, last week was an emotional Sunday for us as a church as we heard about uh, our family's plans to head to the States uh, and to Kansas City. Yet this week, I want to be very clear, we're once again returning to the Word of God. We do so because we believe in the truth that's contained within it. We do so because it's central to what we believe here that Jesus Christ is indeed the Word of God and there's great meaning in it. I don't want us to slow down because last week was an emotional Sunday. I want to tell you that in recent weeks we've now received six membership applications with a few more to come in to join the church family here at Lincoln Baptist. I believe in part that is because we believe and teach the Word of God. We're also going to organize a baptism service. So if you've not been baptized, we're going to have a baptism service on Sunday the 21st of November because we believe in the Word of God and it commands believers to be baptized before witnesses. It's the Word of God that transforms lives and through a declaration of salvation and declaration through baptism, we want to see that change people's lives. You see, folks, we're not going to be slowing down We're not closing the shop doors because last week was an emotional Sunday. We're marching forward to proclaim the word of God because it is far bigger than whoever stands in this spot at this time each Sunday. And so we continue to proclaim the word of God, the truth that transforms lives as we work through Genesis and our series. So this week ultimately is no different. Next year will be no different. The year after will be no different because it's not about who stands here. It's about the word of God that we open, that we devour and we're transformed by. So I indeed encourage you today, don't switch off don't think, oh, it's not important. He's gone in a few weeks. Delve deep with me today as we go into the Word of God again. And so last week we learned of the incredible power of God as he created man from the dust of the earth. We saw how as the designer and sustainer of life, what we do with our lives and our bodies matters to God. This week, we're going to see the creation of women and how, once again, God has a specific order and a design to his creation. Crucially, we're going to see that in this passage, men and women are equal and complementary to one another. And as we walk through the passage, I want you to remember this thing. It's going to come up a few times. Nothing is by chance. There is a specific order and a specific plan that God is following. Nothing happens by chance. It'll become obvious as we go through our passage together. And so we go into chapter 2, verse 18 that Gary read to us earlier. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Throughout the whole creation narrative, we have seen how God declared each day as good. And in fact, in the day six, at the end of day six, he, he desires to declare that it's very good. That addition of very shows a completeness to it. Yet here in verse 18, we see the first negative of the creation narr- narrative, and that is, it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> no surprises, um, is there? I want to make it clear. It is not that man is not good, 
Notice that. It's not that God is saying man is not good or somehow God has made a mistake in making man. Rather, the creation of mankind was incomplete. It's the incompleteness that is not good. Adam is incomplete, for Adam is alone. I think this is particularly striking when we think about the last 18 months of the pandemic. In God's creation, the holy standard is not for us to be isolated, to be alone. Now, I'm not saying that we did that wrong in the last 18 months. I'm saying, do we feel the effects of it, of feeling alone, of feeling isolated? We talk about being socially distanced. We're socially unaware of one another now. And that is not what God wanted for his people. He did not want them to be alone. And so Adam was incomplete because we're not created to go through life isolated. We're created to be in relationship, for friendship, for for togetherness, as we are an example of the triune God who's in relationship and togetherness. God, therefore, determines to make Adam a helper fit for him. I'm going to delve a little bit into the Hebrew this morning. This phrase in English comes from two Hebrew words. Helper coming from the Hebrew word ezer, meaning someone who assists and encourages. A helper provides support to a situation or to a person when something is lacking. Think about when we ask for help in a ministry team. It's because we lack something and we need help for it. It might just be somebody to make some teas and coffees or to clean the front step or it might be to run junior church or to be part of the worship group. When we ask for help, it's because we are lacking something. And so God steps in to find a helper for Adam because Adam is lacking something. Now, we often look down on our need for help. Our pride kicks in and we refuse for anyone to even know what our need is. Yet throughout Scripture, we read about the help that comes from God. At Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Help is always available in the Creator God. God was going to help Adam to not be alone by providing a helper, someone that would cover what is lacking. We then have a second part of the phrase, a helper fit for him. This comes from the Hebrew word kenero, which means someone who corresponds to another or who stands out from all else to be visibly and plainly like to another. So when we take these two words together and we delve into the meaning, what we're actually seeing is that God was going to make Adam a unique individual who would fill what is lacking being both an encouragement and a support. Without this individual, Adam would be incomplete and alone, and God says, that is not good. Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, we see in verse 19, the honoring of chapter 1, verse 26. Just flick your eyes back a second to chapter 1, verse 26. 
In chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Mankind would have dominion over the animals, meaning that mankind had responsibility and authority to care for all the animals of creation. Now, when you give someone a name, you have sovereignty and control over that individual. Well, I say that, but my next point is consider the fact that we give our children names. Uh, I think as a parent, we often feel out of control at times. But we name our child and we are responsible for them until they're an adult. But even when they're an adult, as my mom keeps telling me, (laughs) she will continue to be responsible for me for the rest of our life. But think about the spiritual significance. Say, God changing Abram's name to Abraham or Saul's name to Paul. What would come next in their lives would entirely be through the authority of the one who would name them. And so Adam was acting upon his dominion and authority over the animals by going through the process of naming them. And just just let's get lost in the wonder here. A lion would come before him and he would go, lion, next. A tiger, tiger, a dog, dog. Can you think, imagine that. All the animals we have named by Adam still named to this day by those names. But I want you to see, as we just marvel in that, what was actually happening. Because God, read the verse, read the verse. Let's see what it says here. Verse 19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man. God was bringing these animals before Adam. God was allowing Adam to pick any name and it would be so. Even when we have responsibility and authority as we name animals or children or as God changes our name, we must remember always that God has decided to allow that. In some senses, we have a a visible authority, a visible dominion over the land, but God invisibly has authority over all things. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The naming ceremony, of course, honors chapter 1, verse 26. However, it's more than that. As the animals proceeded before Adam, one after that, I mean, my mind just boggles. You know, here comes the elephant, you know, here comes the lion, here comes the giraffe, here comes you know, the monkeys, all this sort of stuff coming before him. Everyone, and then Adam would ponder over the name, and then he would give a suitable name for them. Yet Adam was also pondering, is this animal like me? Is this one of me? One after the other after the other, but none fit the bill as a unique individual that would fill what is lacking and would bring both encouragement and support to Adam. And it seems in this vast creation that God had made, the incompleteness of Adam could not be resolved. Think about that, folks. This vast creation and the incompleteness of Adam could not be resolved. God would have to step in and he would have to do something special because he could not leave his creation incomplete. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman 
and brought her to the man. It's interesting to note that God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. Well, I don't think we'll ever forget Harrison's face of what a deep sleep looks like. I can see a few of you have headed into that already. But possibly, possibly it was a sleep. Possibly it was some form of coma. It was not because Adam was tired, nor because the process was going to be painful, for pain had not yet entered creation. Rather, it seems there's some form of spiritual significance of Adam not being able to see the creation of women. Now, we can only speculate as to the reason. We're not given any reason. So let's just simply leave it at this, that it was necessary for Adam to be asleep during this process by God's divine will. Can't say much more than that, but it's interesting to see these things. So God opens the side of Adam and removed a rib. He then closes the side and from the rib, he makes women. Now, before we continue for a moment, just pause here and see the magnitude of our creator God. He creates out of a rib, a woman. Now, there's a few of us in here that has some skills in making things and creating things. We have some amazing guys in our church that, that built this platform for us and we use the steps. Uh, you'll go nameless, you know who you are. Built the steps, we use them all the time. I trip over this top step all the time. We have amazing skills and talents. Not one of us can take a rib and make a woman. Just think about the magnitude of that. This is who we're talking about. The one who can take dust and make a man. The one who can take a rib and make a woman. We need to marvel at this. Luke 1, 37. Not on the screen. For nothing will be impossible with God. I think we need to remember that, don't we? Nothing is impossible for God. I think we need to live like that. Imagine what this world would think if we walked into this world and they said, oh, I'm, I'm going through this, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray about this situation for nothing is impossible for God. How do you know that? Because he made man from dust and woman from a rib. How do you know that? Because the word of God tells me. Why do you believe it? Because it's the final authority over all things. Just imagine what our world would be like if we did that. But remember I said at the beginning that nothing is by chance and that everything God does is a specific design and a specific plan. Think upon the rib for a moment. Why does God go to the side of Adam rather than any other part of his body? And as you ponder this question, I want you to consider a quote from Matthew Henry. Woman was not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Let me just read that again. Woman was not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Women did not come from the head to have some form of superiority, nor the feet to signify some form of inferiority, but from the side to signify equality. I think too often we have men in this world that don't recognize this. From the side to be equal, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be beloved. 
Speaking about the equality of man and woman, let us remind ourselves of chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both man and woman are in the image of God. They both carry the unique life that is given by God. They reflect God's character and God's attributes. This can't be said about any other element of creation. Any other element does not fit with this. It is exclusively for man and woman to be made in the image of God and in his likeness. And we know after this verse, God goes on to bless both man and woman. And I've said this time and time again through this series. If you are a man, you are blessed by God. And if you are a woman, you are blessed by God. That is his design. That is his nature. And that is what we reflect. So God had made a helper fit for Adam. And it was now time to wake Adam up and bring a woman to him. Man and woman were not designed to be separate, but they were to come together. And just look at how Adam responds. I'll, change, I'll try and change my tone to, to give the significance here, right? Verse 23 here. Then, woman, then man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Notice this, at last, Adam had gone through every animal, every creature, and still he was left alone. At last, God had provided Adam, someone he could call bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam and Eve were the same. They were humankind, yet they were different. Adam was male and Eve was female. The perfect companionship was finally found. And it was all thanks to the creator God. Finally, all of creation could be deemed, chapter one, at the end of day six, as very good. Why could it be very good? Why could God say this now? Because man was not alone. Mankind was now complete. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, though, although the word is not used here, these two verses signify the first marriage. Marriage is before God and specifically consists of a covenant between two parties who become one flesh. These words are ultimately foundational now to all unions before God, all marital unions. And notice three specific things that happen. The first is that they leave all loyalties and previous ties creating a new family. So where Adam might have spent a lot of time with the animals naming them, it was now time for him to be with women. They were to be together. Secondly, they're to hold fast. They cling to one another and they seek to be faithful to one another. So you leave and you cleave. You leave and you cling. And then thirdly, you become one flesh. There's a completeness that is brought, a oneness that can be found in no other way. You act as one, not two. You live as one, not two. This union that God had created was exclusive. There was to be no outside influences. As one flesh, the union was going to be monogamous. In this way, it was perfect as per the design of God. Now, before heading into application for us today, and we, we always want to do that, I want you to notice that in this union, they were naked and they were not ashamed. 
In the perfect creation, in the perfect world, in the perfect union of one man and one woman, there was no shame, no fear, no embarrassment, no coercion, no guilt. They were naked and they were unashamed. You see, it's sin that brings shame, fear, and guilt. With no sin in the world, both man and woman joined together in one were free to enjoy the richness of God's blessing. When shame and fear and guilt and coercion come in, it is because of the fallen nature, not because of the perfect design of God. Now, that is not to say that if today you feel fear or you feel shame or you feel guilt, that you're suddenly deep in levels of sin. But somewhere, whether it was you, whether it was somebody else, whether it was something you did or someone did something to you, these feelings come not from the perfect world that God had designed. So something has gone wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're broken because you feel these things. I'm saying the world is broken because these things exist. So let's go into some application for us today, because I think this is really important that we don't just academically work our way through the verses, but we really start to understand what it means. And here's my first point, that man and woman are equal and complementary. There was no equal in all of the land. God had to make one. Yet this equal was not the same, rather would complement Adam so that both would be complete in a union together, like two pieces of a jigsaw that match together, making the whole. So man and woman are equal in the image of God, complementary toward one another, completing one another. What does this mean? It means that we celebrate the equality of men and women. All people can know Jesus as Lord and Savior. All Christians are encouraged to read the Scriptures, to study the Scriptures, and to live out a holy life before King Jesus. In fact, in this church, we've made an active effort to actively encourage and spur on both men and women to delve deep into the life and faith of Jesus Christ, tossing off restraint, and to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. So before I go further, if you want to be active in the study of God's Word, and you want to take on a course, if you want to study, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you want to learn and dig deep, if you want to train, if you want to learn about evangelism or church history, whatever it may be, come and speak to the leadership, because we want to actively encourage that. And I'll go out on a limb because I haven't asked them. I am sure we'll be outrageously generous in helping you do so. But it also means that we need to celebrate how we complement one another and our differing roles. Too often we belittle women as no more than just simple people that can raise children. Too often we fight and insult men who seek to lead and to guide with conviction. As a husband, I want to celebrate my wife's differing roles and talents. I, I mentioned to Miriam that I would say something this morning. I, I won't look at her because I, I can feel the glares coming at me already. But in our household, Miriam is the cook, not because she is a woman, but because we want to live. <laughs> in our household, Miriam is the mother to our three girls, because I can't take that role. It's not something I can step into. In our household, I encourage Miriam to read the Bible every day to delve deep into it, 
and to show our girls what it means to be a woman on fire for God. Yet equally in our house, I do the DIY. There's many reasons for that. And when I can't do it, Mark Watson gets a call. (laughs) In our household, I love driving. I love it. I, I could easily drive for 10 hours straight, no problem, love it. Miriam detests driving. And so in our household, I do the driving. Last week, you heard that in our household, as a family, we have encouraged one another to the point where we're willing to step out in faith and move away to study God's Word because I have a wife that celebrates that I want to do that. I want to say this morning that we need to stop fighting over being complimentary to one another. Because if I did that at home, our kids would have food poisoning and our pictures would be falling off the wall. Now I jest and I joke, but this is serious, is it not? That we need to celebrate that God made us in a way that completes us. And that when we fight that, we're incomplete. And how does God define that? Not good. Complimenting one another is not about fighting for the ability to do everything that the other can do. Rather, it's about celebrating the skills and the talents and the faith that we have in Christ. To be a complementarian individual or a church is to celebrate the design of God and the two genders coming together to complete one another. And more than that, and I will labor this point, it is not the belittling of one another or establishment of extra biblical principles where we look down on a man that leads in conviction and look down on a woman who loves her home with her whole heart. These are things that we want to celebrate because God made us in a way that we would be complete together. The second thing I want to bring us to is that there is no confusion over gender and sexuality in Genesis 2. I want to read a couple of things out to you. This might be new to you. Um, It might be something you already know. It might be brand new. And I want you to just for a moment understand that this is real life, okay? So we're not going to sit here in judgment of what I'm going to read. We're not going to get angry and get hot-headed. I want you to understand that this is real life. On a website specifically aimed at teenagers aged 13 to 16 who are exploring the conversation of gender and sexuality, the following can be read with regards to gender. Gender isn't about someone's anatomy. It is about who they know themselves to be. There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, gender queer, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none, or a combination of these. On the same website, the following listed about various sexualities they can choose from. Asexual, bisexual, cisgender, gay, heterosexual, intersex, lesbian, queer, questioning, straight, transgender, transsexual, and two-spirit. Now, you might not know all these terms, and you might be yourself struggling with these things. But what I can say for a fact was we look at these two lists on a website that is actively accessed by teenagers of our world, is what we have is confusion. Our world consistently tells us that we can be whoever we want to be, We can think whatever we want to think. We can change whatever we want to change. But all that that has led to is confusion 
and a massive step away from God's design. In Genesis 2, there is no confusion. There are two genders in a heterosexual monogamous relationship. That is it. That is the perfect design of God that brings about completeness in his creation. There are two things we therefore need to apply today. We first need to apply the truth, which means we need to reject what the world declares as truth. Do, think, and whatever you want. We need to accept and declare the truth that is two genders in a heterosexual monogamous relationship as God's holy standard, because if God didn't want it, he wouldn't have made it that way. Yet there's a second application, and it's just as important as the first. We apply the truth without hatred. Too often those who journey through these different sexuality and gender choices are hated individuals. The truth of God's word does not accept choices contrary to holiness, but it does accept a sinner in need of a savior. Do not confuse the hatred of sin with the hatred of a person. We as a church need to lovingly show our confused world that there is peace and joy when we see God's beautiful design. In God's word it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. Our world is searching for meaning, trying to understand why they look this way and feel this way, trying to understand their behaviors and their tendencies to do things. And what we read in Genesis 2 at the beginning of all time was there was a man, there was a woman, there was a union, it completed them, and God blessed it. Which means everything else is not blessed. Let us lovingly stand on the truth, not hating not hating the individuals. Because maybe, just maybe, if we show them the love and the truth of what it means to know there is meaning to our life, to know that what we do with our bodies and what we think with our minds means something to God because God has designed us and He is in control, then maybe, just maybe, there'll be peace amongst our teenagers in this world. Thirdly, and I finish with this point. Christ is our great helper. Is it not wonderful that God helped Adam by providing Eve? You can say amen or hallelujah or anything you want. Just don't say preach it, brother. You know, I'm... <laughs> is it not wonderful that Eve helped Adam to be complete? Okay, thank you. Is it not wonderful that Adam and Eve helped one another to be complete and know that they are blessed before God? Help is not a dirty word. It's okay to need help. Most importantly, it's okay to cry out to God, help me. <clears throat> Hebrews 4, let me just read this out to you. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter what you're going through in life today, know this. Jesus Christ is our great helper. He helps us in our weakness when temptation is hard to fight against. He helps us when we can't find the words to explain our emotions and our feelings toward God and toward others. He helps us with our sin problem, taking on his shoulders our sin, taking the punishment that we deserve so that in faith in Jesus Christ we would have joy. So this week, ask God for help. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Don't be too proud to just go, God, help me. Let us each humble ourselves and ask God for help, for nothing is impossible for him. This is our confidence that Jesus Christ will provide mercy and grace and help us in our time of need. I want to finish just with a very quick story from, from this week. Uh, many of you know we're, we're planning for the States. We're, we're planning to book our tickets to fly out at the end of the year. Uh, we've been watching morning, afternoon, night, morning, afternoon, night, trying to find the right price, the right journey. Unfortunately, the right price, the right journey doesn't seem to exist. And when one came up, we thought, we'll book it, done, let's go. I had Miriam next to me, we had all the passports out, we're going to fill in, fill in, fill in, fill in, click the button to pay, nothing happens. Sorry, there's an error, unknown error, don't know what to do here. Look again, four hours later, same tickets up, right, go, 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 boop, 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 boop. Ah, unknown error. And for three days in a row, this has happened. And then it dawned on me. I'm checking morning, afternoon, and night. I am rushing in to try and book a ticket that I think is right. And not once have I said, God, will you help me? There's nothing to fear in booking tickets a day before we leave. Because if God can make man out of dust, woman out of a rib, complete man and woman in creation, he has everything under control, no? That's just from our life this week. Maybe you've got something this week that you've been pondering or trying to force through, trying to make work, and it doesn't seem to be happening. Be a Habakkuk. Stand on the wall and cry out, what are you doing, God? Help me. Let's pray together. Father, we do indeed thank you for your loving design of who we are. Father, I want to pray very specifically this morning. I want to pray for the men in our church this morning. I want to pray that they would know that you are their great helper. Father, I want to pray that they know that they are blessed by you. Father, I want to pray that they would have deep conviction to lead through the word of God, the truth that is Jesus Christ. Father, I want to pray for our women today in church. Father, I want to pray as a man to say that we would celebrate their design that God has given them. Father, I want to pray that they would know that they have been made wonderfully and fearfully made, that they are not 
degraded or looked down upon. And as Matthew Henry says, that they have been made from the side so that they would know equality with man and woman together being made in the image of God. Father, today I want to pray that we would celebrate this. Father, for those who are married, I pray that our marriages will not be about who gets to do, but would be about how can I help? How can I complement? How can we be complete? Father, I pray for our world and even probably some of our members here. I pray for the challenges that our world brings to us about gender and sexuality. Father, I pray that we would not be confused as to what the truth is. Father, I pray that we would know with confidence that your word is the final authority in all matters. And so with confidence, we are who we are because God has designed it as so. Father, I pray that as we go into this world that we would not be known as a people that would hate, but a people who would love and guide to Jesus Christ. And Father, as we look to the changing seasons in our family life and in the church's life, Father, I pray that we would never, ever, ever put the person who stands behind this pulpit higher than Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that Jesus would be our pastor, that Jesus would be our priest, that Jesus would be our king, that Jesus would be our helper, our savior, and our friend. Father, we pray with that confidence in that knowledge that the shop doors don't close, but they are flung wide open because the message ain't changing. Father, I pray in the changing times of this world that we would be resolute on the rock that never, ever shifts. And so, Father, I pray this in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen.